Yo, welcome to Times Yours. I'm Spike. NBA basketball again, Sixers basketball with uh, Matt Moore of Hardwood Paroxysm from CBSSports.com, senior NBA blogger for CBSSports.com, and the weekend editor for NBC's ProBasketballTalk.com. Thanks for taking the time to talk some hoops today. Hey, no problem. How are you? I'm good, man. Um, I actually feel like as, as quickly as things are moving, every second that I keep you from writing or from Twitter, I feel like a million things could happen. The last week and a half has been uh, absolutely insane, right? Yeah, I'm on, uh, let's see, I slept maybe... It's Wednesday. I'm just trying to calculate the days. I slept an average of about four hours a night, and even then, every time I go to bed, something happens. So it's it's this torture train of, you know, trying to keep up with everything every single second. When you go to write a post, something happens. When you come back to write on something else, something else happens. And then you try and go to sleep, and something happens. So yeah, it's been kind of a, a long week. Yeah, you go to re- you go to evaluate a Chris Paul trade, and then find out that that Chris Paul trade isn't going to happen. And then you you bag it, and then the, it's back on. Uh, you know, it it seems like it's um it's moving it's funny because you move really really fast and write a lot like but for the first time ever it feels like the news is actually has kept up with you rather than you've been able to get ahead of it yeah it's weird to to see it because well, i mean one of the things that i i always try and do is you know i don't think there's any harm in in kind of evaluating what the impact of a rumor is you know i think that there's some obviously you have to consider the source but it's from a credible source and someone says, hey, this is looking like it's it's going to happen. I don't think there's anything wrong with jumping ahead on it. The problem is that we ran into this issue last week where we wrote up a, basically an entire set of articles about Chris Paul going to Los Angeles. We had reactions from every single side of it and a whole total, you know, an overall big picture analysis and, and takes from each individual team. And then it fell apart. So we just spent all this time you know, writing for nothing. And that's kind of been how it's been, particularly with the Chris Paul trade. Um, with you being uh, as as inside as you are, and I guess with is talking to as many people as you do, I'm interested to get your take on the rumors and the reporting of them. It, it seems, and it, it doesn't seem this way with basketball yet, but it's hard to tell. And baseball, it seems what has happened is every time you see a rumor reported, it's almost as if, whether it be a trade or a signing, it's almost as if you can figure out who the plant came from, that it's not even rumors anymore. It's one one agent is trying to manipulate the deal within the media by giving his guy one thing, and then the, the owner is trying to manipulate the deal in the media by giving his guy the other thing. Uh, how, much, how much of what we see, you know, whether it be trades, whether it be uh, negotiations, how much of what we see, even by credible sources, do you feel like is really legitimately happening it bothers me because of for this reason there's this analysis out there and the speculation and really the skepticism from fans and it's understandable because the fan sees oh there are all these rumors and then it didn't come true and so the assumption that it will lead to is that the stuff is fabricated nothing's fabricated there you're going to find out real quickly who's fabricating things and those people are not going to be employed very long because editors keep up with these things as well. It's just simply part of the process. And so these things have a life of their own. They have some sort of, you know, legitimacy to them. Now the question is whether or not the sources are being accurate, and that's a problem because you have to trust people that are on the inside, but the people that are on the inside do have legitimate agendas. They do have very, you know, dedicated reasons for doing what they do, particularly agents. 
agents are a huge part of the marketplace in terms of the information that, that goes on. And that's sometimes, I think, kind of lost to the fan, because I think back to when I was just a reader and a fan, and to me, you know, it didn't really cross. I mean, I think if you'd asked me, I would have said, well, yeah, obviously the agents are involved. I was not to the degree that I know that it is now, but there's such a source for reporters because of their impulse to try and gain leverage in order to get a better deal. So I think it's a huge factor. I don't necessarily think that uh, – I think what happens is things are discussed, things are talked about. It's, okay, well, how about this? And then someone says, well, okay, they offered this, but that's not going to fly. But the reporter knows that that's interesting, and the fan will react to that, so he posts that, and then it becomes, you know, so-and-so offered so-and-so. But in reality, it was just part of a discussion, not a really a formal offer. And with the things being as nebulous as they are in some of these talks, I think that's why these things kind of take on a life of their own sometimes. As questionable as some of the NBA decisions have been in the last week and a half, and even some of the, the signings, which I guess you could you could certainly debate one way or the other, you have to be—it has to be exciting— for it, exciting for you to cover even though some of it is bad just because it seems like interest um interest is is high and the the news is moving at a mile a minute is i know you haven't slept much but is it is it exciting to to follow something and to report on something that's changing this much or is it too much yeah i mean i think you know there's this debate going on right now based off of the league blocking the Chris Paul trade that somehow the season has been tarnished and there's no credibility and the league is in disaster and it's on the verge of collapse. And I'm like, look at the traffic, man. <laughs> you know how, many hits, how many people are on Twitter talking about this? How many people are... Basketball is as popular now as ever. People are, are obsessed with this stuff right now. Like, in my mind, honestly, honestly... The league blocking that trade may have been the best thing they could do because no one's talking about the lockout right now. If they are, they're only talking about it as a consequence, of, as the Chris Paul trade being a consequence thereof. It's over and it's gone with because now ever, all anyone's talking about is the league blocking the Chris Paul trade. It's, it's this huge, huge cacophony of conversation about the NBA. I don't think that's ever bad. I, that's one thing that makes me crazy. People are like, well, the trade rumors are so baseless and there's so many of them, it's bad. And I'm like, no, it's fun. Like, the fans enjoy it. The fans enjoy it, and it helps you to kind of educate your readers in terms of wanting to be smarter to say, well, no, you shouldn't give, you know, Nene $72 million, like these kind of things. I, I think that's a good thing. I think that helps to try and get people, you know, to be smarter about basketball. Yeah, there's there's almost a little bit, and you don't want too much of it, but there's a little bit of WWE to it all too, like the, you know, the the storyline of uh, of the off season, you know, and the, the villains and the because Stern has clearly painted himself into the villain corner here, now, but that, you know, it, at least somebody has, at least people have somebody to make the villain. Um, I don't know. See, that's, and that's one thing that makes me crazy is, you know. Not, not even so much the fans. Like, I think the fans react to what's written. I think the writers like it. I think the writers yeah. love being able to describe someone, particularly Stern, who's inaccessible. You know, Stern's not a coach. He's not a general manager. And, you know, general managers are, they stay in the shadows for the most part. They don't do a lot of interviews, but they're accessible. Stern's inaccessible. He doesn't talk because he's, you know, what he says carries too much weight. And as a result, you know, it's really easy to flag him. That's been, I mean, going after David Stern has been sport for the last, you know, however long, like almost a decade now, it's been a sport of hammering Stern. And this is not to say that I think Stern's always right or even that he's run things well. I'm of the opinion right now that he's tarnished his legacy with the lockout and it's probably time for him to go. But it's become ridiculous how much people have kind of 
describing this theory that Stern is this all-powerful, evil, maniacal villain manipulating things to his will. It's like, look, he blocked the trade. Yeah. <laughs> you know, he enforced a lockout based off of the will of his owners to reports to. He has some sway over the owners, but it's a complex relationship. And he blocked a trade that was a pretty crappy trade. Uh, to, to act like the guy is sitting in some sort of swiveling leather chair stroking a cat with a metallic <laughs> arm just makes me nuts. I just can't understand why people have to blow these things into such cartoonish proportions. Well, and you know, one more question about all that before I, I get to the Sixers with you. You almost, I guess you almost answered it. Is it Ken Berger wrote a, uh, a piece yesterday just about how um, almost kind of summarizing what you said, but the opposite side, just about how uh, embarrassed people are to be associated with the league and what a bad place the league is in and, and how you know the decisions of the last couple of weeks have affected the league in a negative sense. And as a fan... I, I, I couldn't agree just because, um, or even just as, as a media member, once the game start, I feel like all of that will go away anyway. So I guess you're saying you disagree with his notion that, it, that, it's, that, that it's that negative, that it's that bad right now? No, because I'm sure the, I'm sure the perception from Burger sources are, are accurate. Ken, Ken's, right. in my opinion, the finest reporter in the field. And so when he says this, this is the word of, of people around the league that are dealing with this embarrassment who've also been around a long time. These guys in this league that have been around, so they've seen some of the ups and downs. It's also one where people are hyper-reactionary. You know, it's, a, it's volatile stuff. And when you're, especially with the, the sources that, that Ken talks with, both in team and in league senses, you're messing with livelihoods here. You know, the league interfering in this manner has serious impact upon how people can conduct their business, and people are very defensive of that. And uh, so I think to them it is that much of a serious thing. My problem is when we look at it, it's just basketball. You know, the, <laughs> Chris Paul can go wherever he wants. He's still got to get on the floor, stay healthy, and throw lobs. He's still going to have to be able to score. These teams are still going to have to be able to function. And what we saw last year, you know, uh, the Heat making all the way to the finals is definitely a sign of how powerful the combination can be. But the fact that it did not win is also definitely a sign of, look, you got to put it together or it doesn't matter. And, yeah, I totally agree. The games are going to start, and everyone's going to forget about this. Um, you mentioned interest level being high. In Philadelphia, it has been, and it's hard to put your finger on one particular reason, but it, why, why it is different this year. But in Philadelphia, the excitement level for the Sixers um, has been at a like kind of a record low the last few years. Yet going into this season, and I don't know if it's a combination of the lockout adding another storyline, the you know the Christmas start maybe having a little more excitement than a normal regular season would start. The new owners, the the cheaper ticket prices, but for some reason it feels more um, exciting around here. Um, is there? But we're in it. You know, we see it every day. It's hard to to understand what the perception of the Sixers team is. I guess on a national on a national level, because there's not a lot written about them. So I guess your your you know far away view, big picture uh, assessment of what the Sixers are uh, right now in terms of the the NBA landscape. Good team, well coached, irrelevant. Those are the three things that I would probably say is a perception about the Sixers. You know, I think Collins has done a phenomenal job there. Uh, he's obviously connected with the players, which is really huge. Getting through to guys and having them respond, that's significant. Um, their performance last season, making it to the playoffs, they didn't have a horrific showing against the Heat. They were just outmatched. You know, they were a, a pretty good team 
for stretches. The big problem there is twofold. One, the attendance rate really hurts because it's just basically like, well, why are we going to write about it if no one cares there? Like, the fans don't even care there. Right. And two, there's not a clear direction for the franchise. And that's largely on account of the absence of a legitimate star. I've gone over this a lot because I, I find these kind of teams fascinating. It's one of the things I'm trying to focus on is is I leave the Lakers and everyone else to, to other people. Though I'll talk about them from time to time, but I really love talking about teams like you know the Sixers and the Pacers and these kind of you know middle teams, the Grizzlies, those kind of teams. I really enjoy talking about. And so I've gone over. A, <laughs> I've had a long you know kind of battle with Andre Iguodala in terms of, of how I regard him, and at the end of the day, you get to a point where. Philadelphia is in a jam because he's too good to let go and not get everything you can out of him, but he's not good enough to be the guy that you can sell to your fan base as the guy. Yeah. I think that causes a lot of problems. I mean, people are attracted to the star power, and Philadelphia doesn't have it. They're a good team. They're still going to be good, but I don't know really what their ceiling is because I can't see monumental gains from too much of their roster. And I guess that was that leads right into my next question because it seems like um, either they're being remarkably quiet about some other plan that they have, or that their plan for this year is to roll with what they have and see how good that you know that Turner, uh, the Turner Holiday Igadala one two three combination can be. And if it if it's a disaster, maybe they think about trading Igadala. But if it's not, then just see how good it can be. So if that's the plan, do you think they're you think they're making a mistake in in not I guess blowing it blowing more of it up and you know tr- Amnesty Brand trade Igadala that kind of thing? Or do you think that there's at least a chance that 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 Turner Holiday tandem could progress to the point that they become relevant. Maybe not championship level, but I don't know, just whatever that level is, just below that. I'm firmly in the camp of if you're not going to be great, blow it up. Okay. Being above average is not good enough, especially in this league. It's there are conditions where that's different. Portland can do that certain years, and they should do that. Honestly, it's it's good to keep the fans involved there because they're such a good fan base. You'll make a lot of money. The fans won't be upset because you're terrible. And you can kind of, you know, see if you can maneuver yourself into a different kind of position. A team like the Sixers, I look at it and, you know, Amnesty Brand, trade with Dalla, start from scratch, tank out this year. Uh, part of it, a lot of it, I have been advising different, you know, fans have asked me this. I've been saying that what different teams should do is tank. And the reason is this is the best draft class that we're going to see. Um, it's the best one I've seen since 2003 overall. It is absolutely loaded with talent, and you have the potential to get a legitimate superstar uh, out of this draft. And if not a superstar, you're going to get a guarantee. The bust factor in this draft is probably lower than at least the average, if not most drafts. You know, there's a very few you can isolate and go, that, that guy's, you know, could be really terrible or really good. But with the Sixers, it's, you know, Brand, was, Brand played well last year, but he keeps getting older. Uh, Iguodala continues to play exceptionally well, but you know, he just needs he needs to be that secondary guy to somebody. He needs to have somebody be exceptional and him to be the setup guy. He needs to be a he really is a, a kind of a picking guy guy. He's such a good passer. He's such a good defender. He does all these auxiliary things, but he's on a team where they don't need an auxiliary guy. They need an alpha dog, I and mean, they don't have it. You know, and this thought that Drew Holiday is that, but I, I just don't think that Drew is. 
I think Drew's going to be a very capable point guard. He's going to be very good, but I don't see him being in that elite class. I see him being in that kind of class of, you know, the Sixers fans really like him and he plays really well, but he isn't going to necessarily dominate the game. So then it comes down to Turner. And, you know, look, Turner came out. He was a little bit older. He had the back of condition. I loved, it. I loved him coming out of the draft because the kid just has phenomenal just basketball ability. But he only struggled last year, and he had trouble getting minutes, and he started to show some good things, and then he'd kind of regress, and he'd show some good things, and then he wound up in the playoffs and had some quality minutes there, and I think he'll be a good pro. But you're still missing that guy. So I think if you have an opportunity to go out and find a guy that you can really try and find a spark with, that you need to do that versus right now it really seems like they're just kind of like, well, let's just kind of put all these pieces together and feel the basketball team and see what happens. You're not going to create fan interest that way. You're not really going to create a lot of chemistry that way because the players are going to recognize it. They're just going to go into the motions, and they're hoping that something magical is going to happen out of thin air. And I just don't know if they have the, the pieces in order to do that. So I guess the 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 thought that anyone ha- would have of you know maybe Turner becomes that kind of guy is, you know, I, I guess that's that's more my heart than my head because my head says if he was that kind of guy, it would be more obvious. You know, it wouldn't just be flashes; it would be more obvious. So. Uh, so that happens, though. I mean, yeah. there are guys that do that do suddenly come about. They have you know rough rookie seasons, and then just develop um, suddenly. But I think that when we look at the kind of the modern NBA landscape, I mean, look, Derrick Rose the first year had his trouble, but you you looked at him and you knew, like, yeah, wow, Rose is going to be good, you know. And then you look at you know someone like John Wall, and Wall is turnover prone and doesn't shoot the ball well and has liability after liability, and you can still look at him and say man, John Wall's going to be really good. You know, I think that that goes on down the line. And even, even somebody like DeMarcus Cousins, you know, who's a, who's a chemistry nightmare and a basket case, I, I think you still look at him and go, man, if, if he grows up and gets his, his head straight, that, that's, a, that's an all-star right there. And with, with Turner, you know, you're really left far with, well, you know, if this were to happen and if he could – you know, get a lot better at this, and he gets more comfortable in the turnaround. If he adds, like, you know, five, ten pounds of muscle, and if he, you know, really kind of focuses on, on this part of his game, and if he gets this guy to work with, then he could be really good. But you don't look at him and go, like, wow, that guy can take a game over. And that's what you're, really what you're looking for is a guy who absolutely just scares the bejesus out of the defense late in the game because he's taking the game over. And it's hard to see that with Turner. It's not to say it doesn't happen because it does. It's just hard to see it right now. I think I think just to play devil's advocate, I think if you if he was put on a worse team and given the ball more, like if it, that's and I guess that's the problem inherent with what the Sixers did last year was they got to the level where they were they were too good they got too good to just be bad and let him grow and I feel like if you put him on a terrible team and you know let him shoot. 23 times a game, um, his his numbers are better, and he he shows more of that, more of those flashes that he could take over a game. Because the one thing he doesn't seem to lack is is that killer instinct. He doesn't seem to be afraid yeah. of anything. You know, his his confidence was shot, but he does general like he wasn't scared of Le- LeBron James last year. You know, there there he doesn't seem to be scared of much. Yeah, when he was his confidence was really shot. I think I think that you know I think he was frustrated with the coaching staff and with his position and kind of the normal adjustments to the NBA. I think his confidence, from everything I've understood, has always been exceptionally high. He's a young man that's exceptionally confident in himself. I think that you know, look, if he goes to the Wolves, if the Wolves were to sign him, were to have drafted him, and he goes there and he averages 
you know, 21, 22 points a game, but he's doing it on, you know, 17 shots or something. I just don't know how much people are going to look at that because, you know, we are we do live in kind of a smarter league now where it's yeah. harder for you to produce big points on bad teams and get recognition. It was always kind of difficult because those teams have always been ignored, but I think it's more difficult even now just because, I mean, look, Michael Beasley put up some ridiculous numbers, but everyone was like, well, you know, it's Mike. You know, you know what you're getting with him. Yeah. Like Mike's going to score 40 one night, and then he's in advance the next night, and then he can get suspended for two games. You just don't know. Um, which is not to say that, that Owens is all like that. He's the exact opposite in terms of character. But I think that you have to see something from Turner early on this year that convinces you he's ready to be that guy. And also, I think it's maybe better for his career, maybe not for the Sixers, that this is kind of the situation he landed in. I think him working, you know, having to be a role player, having to earn minutes, you know, having to be on good team, having to know his role and having to understand I have to be considerate with my shot selection because this team is too deep and I'll get yanked. I think that's really good for his career. I think he'll learn a lot from Andre Iguodala and you know, from Thaddeus Young and you know, from all these guys, these pros that he's playing with and from Doug Collins. But I don't necessarily know that you know, it's, it's going to provide him an opportunity to be that guy unless he just comes out and absolutely blows everyone away. Maybe he does and maybe this is the year and you know, maybe last year it was just a, a combination of factors and he comes out roaring. It's just hard to see at this point. Well, your your lips to to God's ears. I hope. I mean, I'll tell you what. As bad as it's been around here last year, and if somehow they, they you know they sniff around, because I to me their ceiling right now is like a you know getting around that five seed position, and it, to me them getting there would be would be nice this year. Probably be frustrating after a couple of years, but you know this year would be fun. Um, well, yeah, I mean, I think if you I think if you make the you know you make the five seed, you either knock off the Magic or if they're they don't trade Howard, or you know, you knock off Atlanta, or something like that. You make a, make a little bit of a run to, to try and make something for yourself. Maybe then you can you can do it. But again, the problem though is, the more success you have, the more convinced the management yeah. is going to be that oh wow, but we were really good last year, and you know. And the other problem, and this is not really talked about as much. Um, there's a problem. <laughs> it gets lost because fans are like, oh, he was terrible, or man, that guy killed us, or this because they have this really removed perspective. It's a lot different when you're a coach and you see this guy doing all the little things that you want him to do and you become attached and you just really like him as a coach, you know, or as a general manager. And you say, you know, it's hard to get over those things and just bitch guys. You know, that's, I, I think that with Iguodala, there's a lot of that where they have a hard time finding adequate value for him. They have a hard time, you know, justifying any sort of move because of everything that he does. And there's a hard time because he's given the franchise so much. He's been there so long and he's, he's done well by him. He does all these things. So the more successful you are, it's going to be, well, we got here. What if we just got a few more pieces and, and improved in a few areas? And, you know, Turner did, you know, add a little bit and, you know, and Drew got a little bit better. I just don't know that, again, the, the combination is right there. And the problem with those teams is when they fall off, they absolutely collapse. And then you have nothing to show for it. Yeah, I mean the relationship parallels are are you know it's the girl that you've dated for five years and you you really like in your heart you know you're not going to marry her but she, you know she's put up with all your crap and she likes she'll watch the games with you and you know she's pretty so you can't think of a reason to really move on other than you're not going to go all the way with her. I mean that's where it, yeah. it gets different. It's that you know yeah. it's that that relationship you create, I guess. Yeah, I think it's rough because I mean. There are only so many options they could do. They were not obligated. You know, nobody's signing there to chase a ring. You know, you're you're yeah. 
you're working with a somewhat limited budget, you're still you're under new ownership, so you're still trying to get all that sold out. You know, those kind of things are I think are complicated. The, those are complications that you kind of have to deal with, as well as I mean, you know, they may move like you know Spencer's probably coming back, and I hate that move. Um, I just think that you need a better center. Spencer's fine as a backup; you can spot him for you know ten, twelve minutes a game, but Spencer's not gonna. Spencer's not going to take you anywhere that you need to go, especially, you know, in the Eastern Conference, you need bruisers. You need yeah. tough guys who can finish those inside, those offensive putbacks. You know, and I look at it, they're so wing-heavy, and I'm huge on Thaddeus. I think that Thaddeus Young is, I, I've I liked him since his rookie season. I talked to him as a sophomore, and he impressed me with kind of his outlook on things and his knowledge of the game. I think that he's got high basketball IQ and phenomenal ability. There's just a few things that he needs to improve on, and he can be a really stellar player in this league. But I hated the fact that Philadelphia resigned him because I don't know where he goes there. I, yeah. I don't know what he does, you know, on that specific team. I don't know what role he develops into other than talented, versatile basketball player who isn't quite good enough to get fans completely sold on him, but is good enough to keep people interested in him. It, it, you know, again, it's everything's so nebulous with the Sixers, and you wonder what direction they, they really want to head. Um. Final question, just gut instinct, and I'm sure you've been asked a million times, and <laughs> I, I don't apologize if your answer is I don't know anymore, is, um, you know, all-star break, what team is Chris Paul on and what team is Dwight Howard on? Huh. You know, I mean, I've been asked it a lot. My, my, my answer changes about every day. <laughs> I, I think... The Paul situation is nearly impossible to answer because of the league's intervention. I think he's on an L.A. team. I don't know which one. I think that I cannot see Jerry Buss going through and saying, you ditched Lamar for a trade exception. That's it. Yeah. sitting by. I, can't, I cannot see that happening. Um, that said, I also <laughs> I keep wondering why no one in the Clippers organization is like, you know, it's Chris Paul. We should really do that deal because it's Chris Paul. And I like Eric Gordon, but it's Chris Paul. So let's go get Chris Paul. So I, I think probably one of those teams, Dwight Howard, I think is still in Orlando at the All-Star break. Wow, really? Uh, because, yeah, and the reason I think so is because, you know, the trade deadline's in March. I, I think that they're going to – I think you're going to see two opposite approaches, which is you're going to see the the – Darren Williams formula with Chris Paul and the Carmelo Anthony formula with Dwight Howard because I think Paul is going to, you know, the Hornets are going to are going to try and get a deal done and try and move on and try and move on and try and move on and if the league allows them to and doesn't keep Paul in order to get the price up, which when they realize it's not going to work because nobody's going to bring on because they're going to know all the, the media surrounding the fact that Paul's gone, you know, they'll move him. I think they'll, they'll get a good load of assets for him, but I think they'll probably rush into it and it'll be a really, you know, tense and disturbing situation for a short period of time and then be over. With Howard, I think it'll be in an early kind of burst. You know, you're seeing it now with him having to talk to the media. He's not talking today. Um, he'll deal with those questions. The trips to New York are going to be a pain. The trips to L.A. are going to be a pain. Uh, the trips to Chicago and New Jersey are going to be a pain. But other than that, he's going to get asked about it, and he's going to hate it. And the team's going to hate it, and it's going to be a distraction. But they're still going to win games because the Magic are a pretty good team, and people forget that they were a four seed last year because they're a pretty good team. They're they're just a, a, a decent, you know, playoff team because Dwight Howard is good enough, and their pieces, while overpaid and old, um, can still play basketball. 
So I think they're 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 still going to be there. I think they get to the the All Star break and talks start happening, and then the team finally relents and goes ahead and moves them up. Because I think that I think Otis Smith knows acting from a place of no leverage doesn't get him anything. Showing that he's willing to set the season does him more good with Howard to be like, look, I can still make the playoffs. I'm fine. You know, if we lose them, we lose them. I'm I'm screwed roster wise anyway. And hold out to the trade deadline and then make a move. I, I think think Howard's going to be uh, in Orlando the last week. It's crazy. It'll be really funny um, and not not exciting for me being on the East Coast if Paul ends up because I think there's a legitimate chance of Paul ending up at, at the Clippers and Howard ending up with the Lakers and um, them both. You know, that, it sets up for a really cool basketball city. But <laughs> the rest of us maybe not as much. But over there, it would be pretty interesting to have both those guys go to the same city. Um, yeah, you know, I think that you know. It's, I mean, it would follow the kind of tradition in the league. I mean, it's. And it would be a. That thing is, it's a very direct, clear message from the from the the agents to say, "Hey, congratulations on that six percent BRI that you took off of our of our cut. Yeah. Hope it was worth it." Yeah, yeah, because all the same stuff is happening anyway. So, um, dude, uh, Hardwood Paroxysm is is a great site. Like one of my top three basketball sites. Uh, I just I love the I love the an alternate view on sports and an alternate way of thinking about things. And I, I think that's what it accomplishes. And I think it's great. Um, and of course, your work on CBSSports.com and uh, for ProBasketballTalk.com. So I thank you for taking the time out of your day to do it. It's been it's been cool. My pleasure, man. Anytime. Thanks, Matt. That's it for Times Yours. Uh, More of me at SpikeEskin.com.